Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 877. I will, I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is a translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, as your disciples asked you to teach them how to pray, uh, and you did so, Lord, we come to you asking you to teach us how to persist in prayer. And so we look to you and we expect that you would do so. Please do so, Lord, for we depend upon you. We ask in your name. Amen. We live in a physical world, obviously. Uh, We experience the world by means of our five senses. What we can see or touch or smell or taste and hear, um, this is the way reality is presented to us. Uh, Since every moment of our lives is lived in this physical world that we experience with our senses, It's natural, then, that we would direct thoughts towards the things that concern us in this world. We give our greatest energies to that which is before us. And it's easy to forget that there is an invisible spiritual world that is more important and is equally as real as the physical world that we see, touch, smell, taste, and hear. The Apostle Paul uh, says in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, verse 18, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The unseen spiritual world is eternal. The physical world that we live in is transient. It will pass away. We uh, cannot and must not ignore the physical world, obviously. But at the same time, we must not let the physical world occupy all our time and consume all our energies. The best gauge for whether we are too wrapped up with this physical world is to look at our prayer life. If our priorities are too steeped in the physical world, 
we will tend to diminish the importance that we attach to prayer. We will give our first and our best energies to what we can do in any given situation rather than gravitating to prayer and asking for God's help. Prayer is the foundational manner in which we exercise our faith. Let me repeat that. Prayer is the foundational manner in which we exercise our faith. And we must engage in prayer if we would engage in evangelism. We must engage in prayer if we would engage in worship. We must engage in prayer if we would engage in Bible study. We must first engage in prayer if we would engage in Christian service. We must engage in prayer if we would engage our efforts to love our neighbor. Prayer is essential to all the things that we do for God. Yet how little effort we often place on prayer in preparation for those activities. And there are many reasons why we struggle to be faithful and consistent in our prayers. But it seems to me that the primary reason is that we have a materialistic worldview. We live in a physical world and we direct our thoughts, uh, our energies towards the things that concern us in this world. The spiritual world becomes to us less significant Therefore, the importance and the necessity of prayer is diminished. And I believe this is the case because I find it is the case with me. I schedule prayer into my daily life. Otherwise, I would easily place it aside in the busyness of uh, things in front of me. I discipline myself to begin my ministerial duties in preparing sermons or, or counseling or whatever, uh, I have I, I discipline myself to first begin with prayer because I know from experience uh, how easily I jump right into the activity without seeking God for help. In our passage this morning, Jesus instructs us to, to prioritize the activity of prayer as the exercise of our faith so that we would not lose heart. He says, verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, he told this parable to his disciples to drive his point home. Some people call this parable the parable of the unjust judge. Others call it the parable of the persistent widow. The gist of the parable is that there was a judge who had no fear of God, no cares for anybody except himself. And he, he's using his position, presumably, to enrich himself. And of course, throughout the ages, in every culture... People have abused their positions of power only to serve themselves. We see it in our day and age. We see it in our national government. We see it in our local governments. This judge is making his judgments according to the kickbacks and to the bribes that he receives. Uh, so there was this widow who came before his court seeking justice. 
And the widows uh, in the um, ancient times were the most defenseless people in all of society. The Old Testament said that widows were entitled to special protection because they had none. Uh, You know, we don't have, or they did not have life insurance. They didn't have Social Security in that time. And so this widow was desperate. Uh, Somehow or another, her adversary was acting unjustly against her, and so she needed some justice to be able to survive. She had no money to pay a bribe. She had no power with which she could threaten him. All she could do was plead for justice. And so that's exactly what she did. In fact, I could see her coming daily into his court and pleading for justice. But I could also see her confronting him in the streets or in the marketplace, maybe even shouting at him from outside his home. Give me justice. In verse 5, it says, this widow keeps bothering me. That's what the the judge says. And the term for bothering is a term associated with boxing. We could say she beat him down. And so he finally relented. Verses 4 and 5. For a while he, can, he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her eventual or continual coming. In verses 6 through 8, Jesus explained the meaning of this parable. He said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? First thing I want to do as we look at this parable, or look at the meaning of this parable, is I want to discard... uh, the, the ways that this parable is often misunderstood. It's often taught that this parable is teaching us that we need to pester God in prayer, that we need to beat him down until he answers us. This is a misunderstanding of the parable, obviously. First of all, God is not uncaring and unjust like this, like this unjust judge. God is the complete opposite. Secondly, we're not helpless like this widow trying to manipulate the judge into hearing us. Look at verse 7. He says in verse 7, And will not God give justice to his elect? We're God's elect. We are chosen and loved by him from all eternity. We don't need to beat God down to gain his attention. Rather, We are instructed to cry out to him day and night because he loves us so much. Again, verse 7, the second half of that verse, uh, says, Who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? We're his elect. He loves us. 
And so he says, because he loves us, because he has his ear turned toward us, because he is so eager to hear our prayers, it should encourage us to be persistent in prayer, to call out to him or cry out to him day and night. We have a claim on God that the widow never had. When we bring our pleas before our great judge, we are coming before a God who knows us, who cares about us, who loves us so much that he sent his own beloved son to that awful cross so that we could be adopted as his own children. We don't need to pester God into hearing us. I'm reminded of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in in 1 Kings chapter 18. God instructed Elijah to set up a, a, a contest between God on the one hand and Baal on the other. And they were to build an altar, offer sacrifices on it, but they were not to light uh, the fire on the altar. The true God would come down and consume the sacrifice. And so 405 prophets of Baal came and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. In 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 26 through 29, and you don't need to turn there. It says, and they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about uh, and around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah began to mock them, crying out, or, or, or here's what he said. He said, cry aloud, you prophets of Baal. For he is a god. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. Go into the bathroom, I suppose. Or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves as their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. They thought that by all their crying out, all their commotion, that their God, the Baal, would hear them. We're not to carry on like that when we come to God in prayer. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. And Elijah, in contrast to the prophets of Baal, he prayed a simple prayer. It was a very short prayer, and God answered, verses 36 and 37. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And of course, God immediately consumed the sacrifice that had been drenched with many pails of water. 
One of the things that is difficult about this parable of the unjust judge uh, is that this promise that God makes or that Jesus makes in verse 7 seems to be at odds with our experiences in prayer. Many of our prayers go unanswered. One of the most jarring examples is the persecution of believers all over the world. They are being treated unfairly. At the beginning of November, we had a day of prayer for the persecuted church. Believers, as they are being persecuted, they cry out day and night, God, bring us relief. God, bring us justice. We cry out for those who are suffering persecution, but it seems as if God is delaying. How are we to understand these promises given in verses 7 and 8? I think the key to understanding this verse is the word translated speedily in verse 8, where Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. It's the Greek word takeos, um, the better translation rather than speedily, I think is suddenly or unexpectedly. If Jesus were saying that God always gives answers quickly or speedily, well, then we would not need to pray or cry out day and night. In fact, the context for Luke uh, 18, 1 through 8, this teaching, this parable of the uh, unjust judge, the context begins back in chapter 17, where Jesus taught his disciples about his second coming. He told them that the time between his resurrection and his second coming would be a difficult time. It would be a time where his people suffer persecution, hardship, and, uh, and all kinds of, of difficulties. Uh, they would long to see his coming, he tells them in chapter 17, but they would not see it. They would, there would be a temptation for them to lose heart. They were, there would be a temptation to wonder if God was listening to their prayers for deliverance. And let me remind you, that is the very reason why Jesus told them this parable. Again, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The temptation is to lose heart uh, when we don't see answers to our prayers. So Jesus says, keep praying, pray always. I'm confident that this is the proper context because of the way that Jesus concludes this parable. At the end of verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, presumably when the Son of Man comes back, he used that same phrase, the Son of Man coming, uh, in chapter 17, when the Son of Man comes, or when he returns again, we could say, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus comes back, we know from chapter 17 that his coming will be unexpected. It will catch people by surprise. And so also his ju judgment, his justice will also come as suddenly as a lightning strike. And it will be, even though it might seem long overdue, from our perspective, it'll be right at the right moment. And will we trust God and keep praying? 
or will we lose heart and give up hope? God is working out his plan in ways that we cannot see, but he is working. I want to encourage you. No injustice will go unaddressed. In fact, I like the way that Oswald Chamber puts it. He said, some prayers are followed by silence because they are wrong. Others, because they are bigger than we can understand. It will be a wonderful moment for some of us when we stand before God and find that the prayers we clamored for in the early days and imagined were never answered have been answered in the most amazing way and that God's silence has been the sign of the answer. Before we conclude the sermon, we need to consider Jesus' question in verse 8. Because he asks a searching question. It's one that he poses to all of us. He says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is basically asking if he will find us giving our selves to the practice of prayer as our as our priority or will we be giving our thoughts and our energies to the things of this world will we be neglecting prayer because we're so busy about this world we may be so busy doing things for God that we neglect prayer and Jesus says don't do that Will he find us praying persistently and confidently, believing that God loves justice as much as he loves his elect? Will we meet the world's challenges by seeking his face or by taking matters into our own hands? Will he find us ready for his return or will he find us to be too distracted by the happenings in the world, like the people of Noah's day? or the people who were living in Sodom, or like Lot's wife, too tied up with the world to give themselves to God, to the spiritual things, to the activity of faith, namely prayer, crying out to God and relying upon him. Jesus is saying, don't give up even when you are tempted to lose heart. Don't give up praying, especially when you're tempted to lose heart. Some of you are going through unimaginable circumstances and sufferings. I've been talking to some of you recently. How can I go on? Will my circumstances ever change? Don't lose heart. Jesus says, pray always. Cry out to him day and night. We live between his resurrection and his second return. And those days will be difficult days. Those days will be the days where the church is persecuted, where Satan is active. Don't lose heart, but redouble your efforts in praying. God loves to pour out his blessings on his people. He's not stingy. You may get the impression that I'm saying that God does not answer prayers in the present. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I've talked to several people uh, recently that have told me about remarkable uh, answers to prayer. And so I want to conclude this sermon with a remarkable answer to prayer that happened just yesterday. Sadly, one of my prayers uh, was not answered yesterday, and Georgia lost to Alabama. Alabama. 
But uh, I, someone called me before the game started and gave me a remarkable answer to prayer. I don't know if you knew this, but for the past, what, David might be able to help me out here, eight, nine years I've been the chairman of the uh, Mission to North America Committee for our Presbytery. My committee oversees all the church planning efforts in our presbytery. David Crabtree is a member of that presbytery, as other men from other churches are as well. Pasco County is not in our presbytery. It's in Central Florida Presbytery, but they haven't done anything in that presbytery. In fact, there was one church there, and it's now closing up shop, and they didn't know it was closing up shop because they, Central Florida just has not had their concern there. So our committee and our presbytery is trying to annex Pasco County, and Central Florida has basically said, okay, you can have it. Um, so words getting around, and of course we've got to go through all the, the the committees and Presbyterian steps to see that happen, and hopefully it will happen sometime this summer. But uh, because that word is getting around, I got a call from a pastor in North Carolina who wants to plant a church in Pasco County, and he wants to do so because he's heard that there are no Reformed churches, not just not just uh, the absence of PCA churches, but Reformed churches in general. And that's one of the, the most explosive uh, places in terms of population in our state. And he says, as I've been praying, I feel God is calling me there to, to Pasco County to plant a church. So he wanted to talk to me about it. He has no ties to Pasco County except one friend who lives there. And his friend has called him and said, come and plant this church. So they've been praying about it. So he called me on Thursday. On yesterday morning, his friend was talking to his barber about the possibility of a PCA church coming to the area. And the guy got so excited. He said, yes, we need a PCA church in the area. And there was another guy that was a complete stranger to both of them overhearing this conversation. He says, yes, we need a PCA church. I, I would like to be involved. And so uh, this pastor calls me almost in tears. Pastor, God's answering my prayers faster than I could have ever expected. My church has doubled, and I haven't even started. Y'all haven't even given me permission. I haven't even gotten there yet. God answers prayer. And when we persist in prayer and cry out to him day and night, not to get his attention, but remembering he loves us so much, you'll see that God answers prayers, maybe in ways that confuse you, but also in ways that astound you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this teaching um, in uh, Luke chapter 18. We thank you that you are telling us that we do not need to gain our Father's ear by our many words, that we don't need to jump up and down and, and, um, and bang on the doors of heaven because his ear is already inclined to us. And he loves to answer prayer for his elect. And so, Lord, encourage us to not be materialistic, not to get so caught up in the things of this world, but help us to be 
individuals, families, and a congregation of prayer. We ask in your name. Amen.